Well, thank you and praise the Lord. Uh, if you're following along in your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open to a passage that many of you are probably familiar with. It's, Ro <clears throat> it's Romans chapter 4, and we're going to be taking a look at verses 16 through, we're going to do a flyby, I should say, of verses 16 through 22. But I just like to read it. First, it says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now uh, dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Let's go to Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and we pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would encourage us through the very word of God. And so, Lord, we offer this to you. And Lord, encourage our hearts to draw near to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter four, chapter four is part of Paul's great exposition of justification by faith, that glorious doctrine. And he opens chapter four with demonstrating that Abraham's faith was apart from the works in verses one through eight. He then proceeds to say that Abraham's faith was apart from circumcision from verses nine through 12. He shows that Abraham's faith was apart from the law, verses 13 through 15. But then he gets to a part where he details that Abraham's faith was in God. And that is what I want to focus on. We're not going to go through every verse. I just want to call out to you three key words um, in the text that speak to Abraham's faith for us to consider as believers today. And those three words are really believe, waver, convinced, or persuaded. I want to focus in on those three words. In chapter seven, in verse 17, it is written, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God. Belief is a word that's bantered about today and has many connotations. Most of the time, it refers to kind of an intellectual acceptance of certain facts. But we see from the text that that is not the faith, that is not the belief that Abraham had. The belief that the Bible speaks of, even in the Gospel of John and others, is this concept of entrusting oneself wholly and fully by faith. And here in verse 17, he said, I've made thee a father of many nations before him who believed, even God. And I think for us today, that's rather significant. I think the imagery of this kind of belief can be demonstrated in somebody jumping out of a plane with a parachute, right? A plane is going down, a decision is made, the person puts the parachute on their back, 
And once they take the leap out the door, they have entrusted themselves by faith that that parachute is going to deploy when they pull that ripcord. And that is the faith of Abraham fully. And that is the faith of every believer that our faith is fully entrusted to God. There is no other deferral. There's nothing else that we can rely on. We don't rely on our individual reasoning or ration. We rely by faith entirely and fully upon God. And that is what enabled a 99-year-old man to hold to the promise that he was going to be the father of many nations. And despite the darkening days that are before us, the question that we all need to ask ourselves is, to whom do we entrust ourselves, our families, um, most of all, our faith? To whom? And as a believer in Christ, it can only come back to one thing. It can only come back to the sovereign living God, whose very word stated it, and it becomes absolute truth. And matter of fact, Abraham's faith, we're going to see in the text later on, but Abraham's faith was so secure in that belief that we see the glorious words that it was reckoned to him as righteousness. I often think about myself. I often think about myself time and time again. I think about this. Why in the world, Lord, would you have saved me? I am the most despicable of men. I am a violator of all your Ten Commandments times a thousand, right? But God being rich in, in mercy with his great love with which he loved us, Paul tells the Ephesians, saved us by that grace. When I stand before the Lord, I have nothing to default on. The only thing I can default on is God being rich in mercy and the full sufficiency of the atonement made on the cross for Jesus Christ. Abraham so entrusted himself by faith to God, he was so totally convinced that God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. And we saw that faith, did we not, on Mount Moriah? Did we not see that faith when Abraham offered up his only son and, you know, Isaac being a little bit quick on the takeups going, uh... Dad, I see the wood. I see everything else for the sacrifice. Where's the lamb? And we see in Genesis 22, 8, those magnificent, glorious, prophetic words that God himself will provide the lamb. It is that faith that's rooted and grounded in the fact that God can do what God can do because he merely speaks the word in and it is done. And the reason I call that out to us is we are in darkening days. We're in days where it seems like Satan is advancing on every front, on every front. The news is gloomy. The governments are falling. The foundations are crumbling like the psalmist says. What are the righteous to do? We are to believe in God. We are to entrust ourselves fully to God. And I love this. In verse 18, he says, who against hope? believed in hope. Another translation would say, in hope against hope, he believed. And I love that because that hope isn't the wishful thinking that the world talks about. That's not the hope that he talks about. 
His hope was not that, but that hope was rather the anticipation that God can do because he entrusted himself to God. As a matter of fact, the word actually means properly expectation of what is sure. Now, if you notice the words there in verse 18, who against hope, what's the first against? We have to consider his body. I don't know too many 99-year-old men that are fathering children with their 90-plus-year-old wives. Let's be honest, right? So he had to consider the circumstances. He had to observe what was around him. He had to look at the physical physical side of the circumstances. I'm sure he looked at the spiritual side of the circumstances. And he had to come to the conclusion that from an earthly perspective, from a human perspective, this is not possible. But because he entrusted himself fully to God, because he was able to believe that call that God calls into being that which does not exist and is even able to give life to the dead after considering the limitations, Abraham saw the unlimited power of God and rested in that power. And many of us, I know on this prayer call, are facing circumstances in our life that that are like Abraham. In hope against hope, we look and we say, I don't see how this is going to happen. But do we defer? Do we rest? Do we entrust ourselves fully to a sovereign Lord who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? I'll provide all of your needs according to the riches and glory. And this is the faith. This is the belief of Abraham. And because he believed, his physical physical limitations was countered by that belief. And his faith, therefore, had no limitations. Does ours? Do our faith have limitations? I get very sad a lot of times when I talk to people and they say, be realistic. Be realistic. This is never going to change. Be realistic. It is what it is. That that comes up with a lot of Christians, particularly around homosexuality. And they'll say, be realistic. It's never going to change. Am I realistic to believe that God can't change a person lost in perversion and sin? Am I And on my unrealistic, that the belief that the salvation power of God is unable to uncouple a person from the worst sin? No, I'm realistic. I believe like the Apostle John, when he tells us if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we looked at the word believe. The second word I want to look at is the word waver in verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. And that word actually is to waver. And it actually means to go back and forth, to go back and forth with a decision, back and forth, contemplating over. Paul tells us that Abraham never wavered. He never staggered in unbelief. That's kind of incredible when you think about it, right? That he was facing all these physical limitations, but yet he rested and trusted in the word of God. 
He didn't go back to uh, back and forth. And not only did he not stagger, but his faith brought, brought glory to God. God was so pleased with his faith, with his unyieldedness, with his ability to believe God and believe him at his word. And you know what? As you think about it, it all goes back to the object of his faith. What was the object of his faith? It was God himself, a God whose word is true, who cannot lie, who is able to bring about what he says. And church, I firmly believe this. The church needs to come back to the object of God as our faith. And our belief has to be rooted and grounded in him that no matter the storm clouds we see gathering, no matter the persecution that we see unleashing, that God is indeed faithful to his word. He will advance his kingdom. He will extend his hand to save. He will give strength to the weary. And honestly, think about it. What's the worst that the world could do to us? Kill us? Not for nothing. If that's the case, they just did us a favor. Into the glory of the Lord we shall be. And so when we pray, do we pray with expectation? Do we pray or with wishful thinking? Is our prayer really, oh God, I hope you can do this like the demoniac came to Jesus. Lord, if you can, can you help my son? Remember what Jesus said to the demoniac's father? If I can, with God, all things are possible. As we come together to pray here, let us come with a mindset that with God, all things are possible. With God, there's no limitation and come with the expectation that God is indeed the same God that calls into being that which does not exist. I think in Isaiah 43, Isaiah makes a prophecy to Judah and he says this, he goes, hey, do not recall the former things. Behold, I'm gonna do something new. He goes on to encourage him. He says, I am the God who creates roadways in the wilderness, rivers in the de desert. Will you not believe this? And that's the challenge that the Lord is saying to the church. Will you not indeed believe this? The third element I want to show you is this word convinced. And in verse 21, it says, I'm being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That word is convinced. And it, and it means to bearing, wearing the work of God to the fullest extent. That is to the full capacity of the individual believer who is fully persuaded by God. Abraham was fully persuaded. And you know what? That persuasion gave birth to a son, Isaac. And that persuasion became so evident in his demeanor and his disposition toward God and his fellow man. Abraham was so persuaded that we see Abraham being an intercessor for Sodom and Gomorrah, pleading with God because he was so persuaded. Abraham was so persuaded that he willingly offered up his son on Mount Moriah, believing that God himself will provide the lamb. And he was so persuaded that God covenanted with him that he became indeed the father of many nations. Brothers and sisters, as we push on in faith in Christ, 
during these very unprecedented, unprecedented times of evil, we need to be convinced as Abraham. We need to be as Paul stated in 2 Timothy 1.12, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. I tell my church time and time again, the day for passive Christianity is over. It's over. You're either in or you're out. Which one are you today? Are you in or are you out? I hope that as we gather to pray, we would see these three characteristics of belief in the all-powerful, omnipotent God without reservation, without restraint that we would in hope against hope believe in God, that we will not waver in unbelief, but rather grow strong, giving glory to God. And lastly, that we would be fully persuaded. We would be fully convinced, bearing or wearing the work of God in us in the fullest extent possible. Confident in this, that nothing is too difficult for God. I want to close with these words. These are the words Charles Wesley was on his deathbed. And he dictated the last words that he would ever pen. And I want you to hear this because this is the testimony of a man who is fully persuaded and whose belief is rooted and grounded in God. He writes this, the last words ever written by Charles Wesley, in age and feebleness extreme, who shall a helpless worm redeem? Jesus, my only hope, thou art, strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch one smile from thee and drop into eternity. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering.